Welcome to the Ask Andrew podcast. Real questions from real condo investors. You ask, I answer. Hi, and welcome back to the Ask Andrew podcast. On today's episode, we are speaking to Juan. Juan is a first-time investor, and some of the questions that Juan had for me were, how do you differentiate a good type of investment from a bad one? We talked about um, investing in condos in downtown Toronto versus the alternative of investing in smaller towns in Ontario. What are the pros and cons of different investment types? And we talked about a few other things, so I hope you enjoy this conversation today uh, with Juan. And once again, if you are interested in having your questions answered, I'd love to do so. Just go to askandrewpodcast.com, click on ask a question, and I'd love to be able to chat with you and have you um, on a future episode. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Juan. What's the biggest question on your mind and what would you like to talk about? Well, uh, I just um, guess my biggest question is how do I tell a bad investment from a good investment uh, in terms of uh, condos? Because there's so many in, in Toronto that it's hard to tell like, which ones are worth it and which ones will not really be worth it. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, can you just tell me a little bit more about where you're coming from in terms of um, like have you have you do you are you a condo investor already? Are you looking to get into it for the first time? Uh, um, any property like what, the uh, most I've done is gone to a real estate uh, investment seminar, um, mm-hmm. and his conclusion was basically to stay out of the city and go for uh, low cost uh, investments. So that's why I was curious about um, expensive things like condos in the city. Mm-hmm. Like how? Um, um, well, maybe let me yeah. start by asking you, like, what did you think about that uh, idea that you brought forward at this seminar? Was that you agree with it? You don't agree with it? You like what you said? Well, you don't like it? Um, what are your What are your thoughts on what you what you know so far about what you're interested in from an investment standpoint? Well, there's a lot of management um, involved in low-cost um, properties. Um, because the tenants are, from what I got from him, uh, it was very high maintenance. But I'm guessing so are high-expense uh, high buildings. So I don't see any difference from what I understand. Um, but I see that, like, at least for the beginning, it would be a smarter decision to go for low-cost and then uh, once there's some capital and some something in the portfolio, then to go for more expensive properties. Uh, that's what okay. I. Understand. So in terms of when you talk about low cost, what uh, just so I understand where you're coming from, what do you mean exactly by low cost properties versus high cost um, properties? Like a two hundred thousand um, dollar non unit building in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Okay, like, like uh, where is it? What do you mean? Like, where is nowhere exactly? Like, uh, like outside Stratford, Ontario, Ontario. Outside Stratford, like small town Ontario kind of thing. Yeah. A couple hours away from the city kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, um, yeah, that's certainly one investment strategy to take um, and one that some people like that I would say is uh, sort of low risk, low return sort of scenario. 
um, buying into smaller markets like that, buying, as you said, cheaper properties where prices are lower, rents are lower, but also historically appreciation rates of prices and rents are lower as well compared to um, investing in a big city like Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're looking, if you're looking for something stable, consistent, predictable, um, that's going to give you good cash flow, then you know. And if you're looking for a low entry point to get started, then those type of investments can make sense for you. Um, if you're looking for something that's going to appreciate more, that's going to have uh, in value, and that's going to have rents that are going to appreciate more in value. Um, in the long run, and uh, potentially could 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 potentially cost more. You look, you know, something like uh, downtown Toronto condos um, yeah. is, is the other end of the spectrum. So there's my point is that there's pros and cons to every different type of investment strategy. It, it really it comes down to you and your preferences as a you know as a person as an investor. Okay. What kind of life you know how much time you want to put into this. I mean, for me and for most of my clients, why they like condos, downtown condos specifically, and pre-construction condos is they're very low maintenance, very little work required. Um, It's it's sort of a hands-free type of investment, like you alluded to the fact that these types of properties in in small-town Ontario, like little apartment buildings and things like that, much higher maintenance, more, you know, more, more higher maintenance buildings, but also higher maintenance tenants, right? And, and, uh, issues related to being a property manager. Most mm-hmm. of, most people who come to me and, and are looking to invest, they're not interested in really being property managers. They're just interested in, uh, taking part in the real estate market. They want to see a good return, but they don't want to do a lot of work for it. Um, okay, that's actually what do. I I would be looking for. Yeah, yeah. I so that. That's I mean fundamentally that's one of the beauties of buying a pre-construction condo because you're buying something that's brand new. Um, a brand new condo itself, there's very little maintenance to do. You could easily own six, seven, eight condos and self-manage all of them and put in very little work. I mean I. I like to say, like, in my years of doing it, it averages out. If you add up all the time that you put into managing these things, it's probably about one hour per month per uh, condo that you own. So, you know, if you have 10 condos over time, you're probably only putting in about, like, 10 hours a month for 10 condos. Sure, some months you might have some issue or something. You might have to put in, uh, you know, a day's work, you know, six six hours, seven hours to, to fix some issue or deal with some situation. But then you might not have to touch it again for 18 months at all. So, you know, but when you average it all out, uh, that's sort of roughly how I sort of have seen the math work out for myself and my clients over the years. Um, reason, Part of the reason is that it's, again, brand new property that you're buying, so there's not really anything that's breaking. And the other thing is you're yeah. buying apartments, right? So... It's not like buying a house where you have an entire structure to consider and to worry about. Um, okay. You know, last, you know, like last night there was uh, here in in the GTA there was a big windstorm that came through, knocked a lot of trees down, stuff all over the place. You know, as a condominium owner, 
you're like, who cares? You know, it's not going to affect me at all. <laughs> Don't even think about it. As a homeowner, as a property owner, as a landowner, uh, you know, if you own duplex or apartment buildings, things like that, you are worried. You're concerned. You're, you're, you know, potentially losing sleep or, you know, there, you might have to deal with an issue, you know, weather and stuff like that. So it's just one example I just bring up as, because I own both types of investment properties myself. And so okay. last night I, I found myself thinking, you know, shoot, I, I hope no trees or branches are falling down on my rental house, you know, over there. But um, then I thought about my condos and I'm like, well, my condos are all fine. So, <laughs> um, you know, now I got to check in today with the tenants of the house, make sure everything is, is okay and there's no branches through my roof or anything like that. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's, that's, uh, different types of investment for different types of people, but it sounds like you're attracted to condos for the same reason and you're looking for something lower, um, yeah, you know, lower maintenance and, and, you know, like, yeah, a, like a lot of my income. clients, yeah, passive income. Um, you want real estate to, uh, you know, fund your life, but not to be your life is, is another way we talk about it. Like you, you have yeah. a job and career and family. I mean, you don't want to be doing real estate stuff all the time, but you do want to participate in it. So that's the beauty of condos. So um, that's a good context for moving forward in our conversation, I guess. So going back, I guess, do you want to go back to your original question or do you want to look at something else, ask me something else? Yeah. Um, well, I guess um, you, you talked about clients. Um, I guess kind of a disclaimer, are you working for – um, for yourself, or do you uh, are you contracted to uh, the do East Condos, which I think is where I got yourself from? Um, yeah, great question. So, who do I work for? I am an independent real estate agent. Um, I work under the Remax uh, banner of, of the real estate brokerage, but I'm okay. I don't work for any developers. I am not. Uh, employed by any developers. Uh, okay. So my my uh, service is to buyers, to investors. I represent buyers okay. and investors to developers, um, bringing them to developers. Uh, the developers, it's a great thing to understand how the business works. Like when you go into a developer or sales office, the people in there that, that work there, they're employees of the developer. They work for the developer. Um, their obligations are 100% to the developer and they have zero obligations to you. Um, so you always want to have your own buyer's agent, somebody like me who's representing your interest and looking out for you uh, when you are buying any condo, pre-construction, resale, or, or otherwise. So, um, yeah, I basically, I... what I was going for. I want to know yeah, if there uh, was, like, um, uh, I guess, not a conflict of interest, but, like, uh, another... I, I was basically asking if you had commission coming out of um, becoming a, an investor in a property. Or if you yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I do have commission. Yeah, let's be clear. I do yeah, get commission. I got paid when you uh, purchase or sell, uh, you know, property. Um, but there's no conflict my... of interest. So I, not, not Correct. Interest, um, yeah, no, conflict of interest is the right word. Yeah. I mean, basically what I do and my philosophy is to to go and seek out the best investment opportunities and bring them to mm -hmm. my clients. So I'm very selective about which projects and which developers I will work with, which developers okay. and, and projects I will 
promote to my clients and, and put out there as saying this is a good investment and putting my stamp of approval on it. Um, okay. That's maybe looping back to the original question of you know, how do I choose these these projects and which ones? Yeah. Uh, which ones do I elect to recommend and, and versus those I don't? So, I mean, it's one of the things I'm you know talk about all the time as well is. And ninety, you know, I say ninety-five percent of all condos out there are not a good investment. Um, yeah, I saw that. And your yeah, you need you need funny. to find out the five percent that are. So that's that's what I'm here to do. It's not to find the you know the five percent that are, that are going to be that great investment that's going to outperform the market. That's going to do better than if you just bought anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Some people buy anywhere and they think, well, I just I bought something, I'm doing well. You know, I'm, I'm happy with that, but but they don't realize if they had have been no. more selective and picked, you know, a, a different one, uh, they could have done much, much better and they could have outperformed the market. I mean, we're not looking to do average. We're looking to do very, very well um, mm-hmm. as as investors. So that's uh, that's what I do is, is basically I analyze the different projects and, and different opportunities that come across my desk every single week and I look at which ones I think have the most potential, which ones are going to give the best return, best bang for your buck, um, which particular units in a particular project are better to buy in than other units. So okay. even within a given project, you have you know some good units to get into and some bad units to get into, but, or not as good so, units to get into. So um, how do you differentiate with a unit? What do you look for? Yeah, so when you're talking about on a unit level, um, it's different. It depends. It's building by building. You really have to analyze each building independently. It okay. depends on a number of factors, location of the building, layouts, uh, you know, what prices the developer has set for different units. Occasionally, the developer will underprice certain units versus others, um, and there's there's opportunities to be had by picking one unit over another in a given building. Um, one of the general principles that we always go back to for this question of what is the best unit to buy, um, generally speaking, not, it's not a 100% rule, but it's a, it's a great rule to understand and, and apply. And that's basically when you buy the smallest unit of a given type, then you're generally going to do well. So if you buy the smallest studio unit out of the studio layouts, if you buy the smallest one-bedroom unit out of the one-bedroom layouts, oh, the smallest two-bedroom. Yeah. So the smallest unit is going to generally be the cheapest unit, and it's going to generally give you the best cash flow um, as a rental, and it's going to generally give you the highest appreciation rate um, over time as well. Sort of a, oh. an efficiency it goes to efficiency. So like the more efficient of the layout, because when it comes to rentals, you know, you don't advertise how many square feet it is. Renters don't rent. I'll give you X dollars per square foot for your unit. No, they just yeah. tell you, you know, I'll give you this much for you. So they're looking for a one bedroom. Then, you know, they see the ad that says this is a one bedroom. They're not uh, sure. looking for a, you know, a 550 to 580 square foot one bedroom. No, they're just looking for something that has one bedroom that functions as a one bedroom. 
So a 500-square-foot one-bedroom is going to rent for pretty much the same price as a 600-square-foot one-bedroom. But the 600-square-foot one-bedroom is going to cost a lot more to buy. So your okay, that's, cash flow that's and, and everything yeah, is, is going to be better on the... Can always be better on the smaller units, so that's uh, that's a, a great principle to understand and, and to look at. Um, now, it's not always possible to buy that smallest unit because generally they are, you know, very high demand with investors. But if you can, all things being equal, then, then those are good units to, to look at getting. Okay, um, and I found your well, I signed up for your newsletter or whatever. Um, in Do East Condos at Young and Eglinton. Um, I'm sure, do you remember that one? Uh, E2 Condos? Yeah, E2. Sorry, not Do East. You're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do East is Regent Park. Yeah. E2 at Young and Eglinton. Uh huh. Yeah. Sorry, my mistake. Um, so, uh, actually, that's a good. Um, yeah. How would you compare the E2 Condos with the Do East Condos? Well, it's, it's sort of apples to oranges. Um, oh, really? They're, wow. they're very different projects, uh, different neighborhoods, um, you know, different uh, different types of properties. Like Young and Eglinton directly connected to the subway and the LRT and the shopping center. I mean, obviously, the price points are completely different. Due East, Regent Park, emerging neighborhood, um, you know, 50-story building versus, uh, you know, 29-story building. Uh, it's um, so I wouldn't compare them directly. There's different types of properties. They're going to be good for different reasons. Um, okay. Anytime you you know you're buying something on Young Street like that, you're it's it's like a prestige property, prestige location. Okay, um, that's what it. You know, it's it's blue chip. Like you can't go wrong. It's it's always been good, and it always will be good. Uh, okay. Something like Regent Park. Again, it's more of a it's more of a gentrifying, changing neighborhood. So you're you're buying more on the upside potential of what's happening there and the, and the investments that are going to go in to change the area over time. Um, you're buying something like uh, Due East. You're buying it more for the, the potential for cash flow um, with a, a secondary a, a potential for appreciation with Something like E2, you're buying it more for appreciation with the secondary potential for cash flow. So it's, you know, it's a different, uh, different sort of a play there. With with Dewey's, the building is going to be done in less than three years. With E2, uh, you know, it's probably going to be four to five years. Um, I think this had 2022. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. So. Um, Great properties, both of them. Great. I've invested in both uh, neighborhoods and oh. both types of properties there. So, um, but for different reasons, yeah. So it, again, it yeah. goes to it goes to the, you know it goes to what type of investor you want to be, and obviously how much you have to invest is a big point too. Because like I said, E two obviously is going to be a lot more expensive than uh, due east. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, thank you very much. It was very informative. Great. Okay, and, thanks, yeah. Juan. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for the call. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Ask Andrew podcast. To get your question answered, just go to askandrewpodcast.com and click Ask a Question.